Welcome to the Social Contract, a Commander podcast. I'm Mike Allman, and joining me is my co-host, Alex Lapp. Alex, what's up, man? Well, not too much, Mike. Uh, I'm excited for this episode, though. Absolutely. We've talked about it a little bit. Uh, We love Commander. We love magic. And outside of the politics and the social setting and the group dynamic, uh, one of our favorite styles, if not our favorite style, is group hug and what we're talking about today is why don't we see it what are some of the stigmas behind group hug that make it something other players don't play yeah there's a lot of different stigmas associated with group hug that kind of get amalgamated into just a general distaste for it that in my experience is quite prevalent um pretty much across the board you you might have difficulty with a new pod. Um, you might get some some groans for group hug. I would say that it's it's definitely not everybody, right? It's not everybody who's right. who's averse to group hug, but it has a reputation that precedes it, and I don't really think that's entirely justified. Absolutely, and it's one of those things where far be it from us, you know. I've made my feelings about stacks abundantly clear, but I also understand that there's a play style for everybody. I understand that we like group hug. That doesn't mean that it's something that everybody should play, like you said. But the reasons why people don't play it, or at least the more common reasons that people don't play it, is an arguable thing. Uh, We've isolated kind of our own you know, explanations and kind of the things we run into most when we talk to people that say they don't like to play group hug. And it usually gets into some, you know, conversations about power level, about being kind of against, you know, the scope of the game to lift up your enemies because it's, I mean, even though it's casual, it's a competitive kind of game. So we're going to go a little bit against the grain here to know why something isn't done as often as you think it should be or isn't as popular as you think it should be. You kind of have to isolate what the problems are. Know the negatives so you can build off the positives. So that's what we're looking at. We're looking at these negatives and counteracting them a little bit and figuring out why. Yeah, the first one you already touched on here, it's number one is I don't want to help my enemies or players in general being averse to symmetric effects. When I say a symmetric effect, I mean something that impacts the entire board in a neutral or positive way. Because board wipes are symmetric effects, and people might not like those, but they're not stigmatized, I would say, nearly as much as as group hug. So we're talking about political symmetric effects or beneficial symmetric effects. These effects, like, for example, Howling Mine, was printed in Alpha... That's the first group hug effect that was ever printed, to my knowledge. Uh, that's a artifact for two that says, 
uh, as long as Howling Mine is untapped at the beginning of your upkeep, or each player's upkeep, that player draws a card. Um, so everybody gets a second draw effect. And I think one of the biggest reasons why people are averse to symmetric effects is because people tell them that symmetric effects are bad. I realize that not everybody listens to and consumes commander content, but I listen to a lot of commander content uh, over the course of, of years, and the general feeling about symmetric effects when they're reviewing cards, when they're talking about cards that you might want to include or cut from a deck, content creators, as a rule tend to not like symmetric effects they tend to recommend against running them and yeah they're just against the idea as a whole of putting your opponents in a better position than they would be on their own right right Right. and that's i get that as far as kind of a you know go into game theory and you know it's a competitive game your goal is to win but there are ways to put yourself in a better position than everybody that you're elevating at the same time. And there are ways to get creative about it. And I think the averseness of just the simple plan of, no, this helps my opponents, so I can't run it, is way more prevalent than you would think for something that can be an advantage. No, not at all. It, it really is. It's a, it's a section of the loudest voices. And it may be a bit of a, bit of a uh, chicken and the egg issue, but... I think that even if there weren't necessarily a general aversion to symmetric effects in the first place, the noted rise of consumable commander content on YouTube and on podcasts and on articles like on the EDH rec, that this rise in commander content over the past few years um, has been dominated by a certain attitude, a certain aversion to symmetric effects. And I won't really speculate as to why those individual people don't like it, but I will say that their influence spreads very far. And when they say, when they dismiss a card offhand because it has a symmetric effect or a group hug effect, um, people just tend to, to sort of take that as gospel. It's like, of course, of course it's bad. It's a symmetric effect. So I'm not trying to say that the general commander populace are all sheep who can't think for themselves or anything like that, but people are influenced by the media they consume and they listen to these commander voices because they trust them because they're being broadcast and they have an authoritative voice just like I mean, if you read something in a book, it's going to seem more authoritative than if you read it online. If you hear somebody who's in the sphere of commander influence, if you hear Josh Lequai say it, if you hear the professor say it. Sure. Someone whose um, job. If you hear Pleasant Kenobi say it, then you're probably not going to discount it offhand. Like, oh, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Because they do know what they're talking about. Right. But they, they have a particular distaste, largely. there There is really only one notable exception and I'll do a shout out to Joey on the EDA Trek podcast. Uh, Joey is a fan of group hug. However, uh, some of his co-hosts are not. And and so the the discussion that happens around group hug 
more or less is is kind of a general uh they wash their hands of it joey doesn't really get to uh what would you say to gush about group hug very often yeah. like, like we're going to in this episode so to to wrap this point up i think that the number one reason why people are averse to symmetric effects is because they've never tried them and people tell them that they're bad but symmetric effects i think you can find even not in a beneficial way not in a group hug sense that these effects are not bad on the face of it and that you should be experimenting with these effects more um Mike, how do you how do you feel about that? Even just from a making interesting gameplay perspective, the ability to involve multiple people on spells doing something that they're not expecting for their deck for a symmetrical effect is interesting. It changes things up. It doesn't flip the game on its head all the time, but it does mean that you're doing something different than what you would traditionally do in a random game of commander. If somebody is allowing you to go get extra lands or to get extra token or plays one of the cards that does the join forces effects, it's adding more resources that they would otherwise not have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, it completely changes the way that the game actually goes and doing that consistently. And as, as we'll talk about, in a way that's going to benefit you more than everybody else is important. It's prevalent. And that's why we get into our second topic here, which is talking about how one of the problems people have with group hug on its own is that it's not as powerful and that it's something where it can't necessarily win the game on its own. When you do that, it's because you're talking about the ability of just propping up everybody and giving them more resources, giving access to other things that they wouldn't be allowed to do on their own in their individual decks. Well, how can that be something powerful? If that's all the deck does, sure, then you have a point. If the only thing my deck does is enable other decks, the end, well, I appreciate you being a support class and you know, keeping everybody in the fight. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a group hug deck. That just means that it's an elevating everybody else deck. A group hug means that everybody's getting the same benefit or that you're giving the benefit to people other than just yourself. That's huge. There's a huge distinction there. You giving more mana and more resources to everybody means that you are in a position where your deck, because you built it, around that theme you're capable of doing more with it other people might not have a deck that thrives off of having a tremendous amount of mana maybe they don't have a deck that thrives off a tremendous amount of etbs from creatures entering the battlefield and you give everybody tokens all the time maybe it's a landfall deck where you're giving everybody extra lands, but you're going to get the most benefit out of those lands. If you know exactly how to set up yourself for success, you're going to have a good amount of power, even though you're elevating everybody else. If I give everybody the same head start, but I know exactly how long the race is going to be, well, that means that I can train and I can set my deck up for getting to 
50 meters instead of the 100 meters that everybody normally starts at. Just because I'm moving everybody up, I'm set up to accomplish my task faster. I'm set up to accomplish my task more efficiently because my deck is built around it. I'll help you all. But this is better for me in the long run, you know? Yeah, that's that's an excellent point about parity that you're bringing up and about how you can construct your deck to take greater benefit of these symmetric effects than other people can because they don't know that they're coming. They can't anticipate those effects. And even if they could, you wouldn't want to build your deck around someone else's deck, right? Um, but I think an even, an even more significant point here is that, and, and I think we'll go into this a lot more in, in our follow-up episode, is that Wizards of the Coast R&D considers symmetric effects in general, as a rule, to be uh, a downside. Right. right. A negative to the effect. So a symmetric effect, typically, for a given power level, is going to be costed more aggressively than an equivalent effect that only benefits you. A downside. By a pretty significant margin. Yeah. One example that, that pops to mind is Blue Sun Zenith. You know this card. It's triple blue and X for an instant. Uh, draw X cards. Target player draws X cards. And then shuffle Blue Sun Zenith into your library. Um, that rate is very bad at the low end for X. And only starts to become uh, on rate as, as you have increasingly successive higher values for X. Obviously you don't want to pay 4 mana for one card. 5 mana for 2 cards is not much better. But once you're talking about, oh, you're paying 10 mana for 7 cards, that, that's that's a better rate, right? That's sure. that's not that bad. Um, but then you have a card like Prosperity, if I remember this correctly, because I don't have it pulled up. <laughs> and that's another blue spell. It's, uh, it's blue and X, and it says each player draws X cards. Now, right off the bat, your rate is significantly better. Right, yeah. and that's that's just apparent. You're paying two mana to draw one card. You're paying three mana to draw two cards. The rate is aggressive. That's the kind of rate that you're willing to pay for card draw. But you're not being punished for choosing low values like you would be punished for choosing a low value of X for Blue Sun Zenith, or uh, or Sphinx's Revelation, or another X spell, Stroke of Genius, and. The downside of that effect is that everyone else gets to draw cards too. Right. Because that's traditionally viewed as, as a downside. You're, you're helping your opponents, you're giving your opponents resources, and that might allow them to win the game faster. However, if you have built your deck, your group hug deck, in such a way, as you should, that you benefit from other players having more cards in their hand for other players drawing cards. You have whenever a player draws a card triggers, you have uh, benefits for when people have a lot of cards in their hand. Maybe you have benefits for when players discard cards out of their hand. The advantage that you're gaining from that is inherent to your deck and may not be immediately visible to someone who's looking at those two cards and seeing that two extra blue mana is the tax for not letting other players draw all the cards off of your spell. And there are a lot of examples like this. I think that 
uh, in our in our first episode, we talked about Oath of Lieges. It's a card that you picked, which is, a, which is a white enchantment that basically says that at the beginning of each player's upkeep, if an opponent controls more lands than you, uh, you may search your library for a basic land, put it on the battlefield tapped, and it's only two mana. It's one and a white. Do you really think that that card would be costed at one and a white if it only affected you? Of course not. And if, if it were... I feel like that card would be $60. It's a staple in ridiculous. Because that would be one of the most powerful white ramp effects in the game, according to everybody. However, it still is one of the most powerful white ramp effects in the game, but nobody pays it a second glance because it's symmetric. Wouldn't you want a two-mana ramp effect in mono-white? I would. Absolutely. And the downside is that other people also get to ramp? Okay. You know what? <laughs> when you're costed it that aggressively at one and a white for that kind of effect and this is not a unique example this is everywhere in the group hug archetype every time that you see a group hug effect that's worth running you're going to see an aggressive mana cost on that card for a benefit that would cost a lot more if it was only affecting you and and again i think i've, I've kind of gone off the rails here but that's that's <laughs> really an important point to, to group hug that when people say group hug's not as powerful i feel like they don't understand that truism right right no it's it's the difference between giving everybody equality and equity i have no problem with giving somebody uh double the mana that they normally would have when they're tapping their lands if i get it as well and i'm the one who's controlling it if I'm building my deck based around effects like that, I'm at an advantage, even though everybody is going to benefit off of that advantage. Because I'm planning for it. I know about it. And when you know how the game is going to go, you're at an advantage already. So me knowing how it's going to work, me knowing that the battlefield is going to have all these extra resources because I'm putting them out there, but my deck is built to thrive on those extra resources more than someone else's. I'm not going to be upset if I'm helping the Boros deck go faster than it was expecting because it's not expecting to go fast at all in that sense. Extra resources are nice, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be a instant win for anybody. So moving on, what's our third item here? A third item is that uh, playing group hug is considered inherently disingenuous, that you would have to lie to your pod, if, if even lying through omission, to play group hug. And this is an attitude that that I feel is, is quite prevalent, right? That by playing group hug with the intent to win, as, as in my opinion all decks should be intending to win eventually, that because you're spreading the love, as it were, that you're giving these symmetrical effects, you're benefiting people at the table that you're, are your opponents, there are people who view this, a lot of people view this, as being disingenuous, as lying. Be like, hey, I'm being nice at the beginning of the game, but later in the game, I'm going to turn code and, and win. And maybe even the benefits that I've been giving you are going to be... Gain, uh, I'm going to gain control of them or I'm going to uh, you know, make them stab you in the back 
like these this this kind of attitude and that's the thing they're not inherently wrong or they're not wrong in the way that that's uh that i would say that they're that this isn't true because it is true you do have to on uh in in one hand shake people's hands and and in your other hand be prepared to win the game however this is not by any stretch of the imagination limited to group hug decks at all uh every deck that you are playing if you are trying to win with that deck but you can't win yet part of your job at the table is to convince people that you are not yet dangerous enough to stop or to sort of pull your punches a bit to make yourself less threatening to other people at the table. We're talking about the political angle here. And really every deck does that. If you don't do that, you might be sitting at your table wondering, God, why is everybody always going after me? Why am I always the arch enemy? It's probably because you always look like you're going to win the game. A really important aspect of of playing Commander, and I think this is a very popular piece of advice for Commander players, is aim to be in second place or look like you're in second place. You don't want to be the archenemy because then everybody's looking at you, and you don't want to be so far behind that there's no possible way you can catch up. But if you appear like you're doing okay, but you're not nearly as threatening as the person out in front, then that's very advantageous to you because when they get knocked down, you can make a move to win. And that advice is stretched far and wide. Any deck can take advantage of that advice. Would you call that disingenuous? Would you call that lying? That, oh, my deck isn't able to win right now or is is not powerful enough to win right now, even though it definitely is and I'm just holding back my power so that the table targets somebody else. In my opinion, these two are one and the same. You are always being a little disingenuous about the capability that you have to win the game or even what your true goals are. And the fact of the matter is that people can know that. People can know that your group hug deck is aiming to win, but they can still play the game. They can still benefit from your beneficial effects they can still appreciate the symmetric effects on the board i don't think that this is disingenuous i don't think that this is is any more disingenuous than any other strategy of commander simply because this that's how the game is played how do you feel about that mike i don't think that you can you can't call group hug disingenuous without calling the entire game out for being disingenuous because the point of the game is, I mean, you're, you're playing to have a good time, but you also want to win. And like you said before, unless you are building a deck and advertising it as a, hey, all I'm doing is basically I'm just ramping you guys up. I'm just giving you extra cards. I'm not going to try and win. I don't have any win cons. In the deck. Unless you're building a deck like that and you're specifically telling everybody that that's what you're building. Like, hi, I'm player four, but really I'm just kind of a plane chase card that's sitting on the table that just is a world effect and I happen to have a life total. That's not what you're doing. Like, you're trying to play to win. Your deck has a win condition in it. So 
saying that somebody is being disingenuous because they're playing a group hug effect, but how can you elevate me at the same time that you're trying to defeat everybody else? No, I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's, it's kind of a fine line, but you're trying to do both. You're trying to win. And the mm-hmm. way that you're trying to win is by building everybody up, but you're ready for it and you know how to best take advantage of it. Um, speaking of taking advantage one of the issues that people seem to have, and this is item number four of Brupug, is that there are boring commanders or that it's based off of kind of one trick. Like if the entire idea of the commander is, you know, extra card or extra landfalls or something like that, there are a few commanders that sit out there as actual just it might as well have a line of text that says this is a group hug commander. You know, you get into the Kanaios and Tiro, Feldegriff, you know, those those kind of commanders that, uh, yeah, they, they set up for everybody else. They set up for you too, but that's what it is. It's, it's an effect where they're there to do something for somebody else as well as some kind of benefit for you. A lot of people don't like those commanders. And I think that's silly because a commander is what your deck has as a centerpiece. But if it's the only thing that matters in the deck, then you're playing, you're building decks. Oh, I don't like the one. Okay, great. It's a one trick pony parlay for Silvala. Um, Things along those lines. Well, it only does one thing. So your entire deck, what's it do? It just makes a lot of mana. Um, first of all, there's nothing wrong with that. If you make a deck and the entire thing is based off of, I'm going to generate as much mana as possible, and in part of that strategy, I'm also going to give my opponents a good amount of mana so I can give myself more mana as well. Big mana is a thing that exists. Card draw is a thing that exists. Giving your opponents more cards while you're giving yourself cards, as long as you're in a position where you can do more with those cards than they can, that's not a problem. I don't understand the idea of, you know, group hug being boring commander-wise, because just looking at EDH rec right now, Alex, I'm seeing a lot of, you know, the traditional ones like we've already talked about. Uh, Gneos and Tiro, Feldegriff. I also see cards like Edric and Narset and Golos and those cards don't scream group hug to me but you can get creative with it if then it allows you an effect then take advantage of it um people seem to fall into this trap where if the commander says this that's all the commander ever will be so group hug commanders have to have a group heart uh, group hug type effect printed on them for them to be any good as a group hug commander. Uh, I, I know you have a group hug commander that bucks this rule entirely, but the whole point is that if you think group hug is boring because the effects of group hug are boring, then of course you're not going to like the commanders that you can build around it because it doesn't matter because you don't like the effect. But if you can take your mind off of the idea that Symmetrical effects are not powerful for you. 
and it's boring and it's not fun. You can really get into a good brewing mentality and make some really powerful things based off the idea of going forward. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 very true. Um, group hug commanders, in general, commanders that are designed for group hug tend to not be super inspired, but that shouldn't at all, by any stretch of the imagination, limit your strategy that you build into the 99 of right. group hug. And like you said, it may behoove you to, to select a, a commander that is not designed for group hug. Uh, like Braids is a sneak and show commander. That's yeah. not designed for group hug, but you could play it as group hug. Um, and said Narset. Like Narset's designed as a, I don't know if I'd call it Storm. Maybe I'd call it uh, aggressive spellcasting big mana deck. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of options, and I tend to pride myself on creating very unique group hug decks, and part of that is choosing unique group hug commanders. Um, I do have my uh, old battle axe, Kaneos and Tiro. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite decks. It was my first deck. I built it modifying the precon. It's very different from the precon now, but it's it's a Kaneos and Tiro deck. It's it has all of the effects you would expect a Kaneos and Tiro deck to have. But I also have an Emrakul the Promised End group hug deck, which I adore. Yes, yeah. that's because it's ridiculous. Because I'm, and we're just going to give everybody a second here to collect their thoughts. Because you basically said your Eldrazi group hug deck, which are not things that you would put together. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, it's, those aren't a combination that are often. So Emrakul the Promised yeah. End is a legendary creature Eldrazi for 13 mana. It's a 13-13. It says Emrakul costs one less to cast for each card type among cards in your graveyard. When you cast the spell, gain control of target opponent during that player's next turn. After that turn, that player takes an extra turn. And she has Flying Trample and Pro Instance. Um... This is the only commander in the entire game that allows you to give an opponent an extra turn. Huh. And I think that is just the most delightful thing in the world. But what I think is even more delightful is the fact that I get to choose. There's a fork in the road, right, when I cast this commander. I can either cast it in such a way that I can be very group hug. I can say this is a gift to you. I'm not going to control your next turn, so you just have that turn, and then after that, you're going to have another turn. So I've just granted you an extra turn. That is something that I like to do for players that are very, very far behind in the game. They like that too. It helps them build up their position. Uh, However, that's typically not usually the way I play it, because usually people aren't that far behind. The way that I'll usually play it is by completely just wrecking shop. I gain control of their board, and I take them to the cleaners. Everything that they don't want to happen is about to happen, and I won't really get too far into the weeds, but suffice to say, I can do anything I want with their commander, including get rid of it forever. Um, but this this deck is... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say this. Nobody had ever built an Emrakul the Promised End Group Hug deck before, before I had. And every time people say it, they're like, wait, that can be group hug? And I'm like, it absolutely can. Do you have any idea how many group hug artifacts there are? There's a lot of them. Um, 
and that's just one example. You you can be very creative with your group hug commander options. I also have a, a Vanifar deck, which I talked about in a previous episode, that just tutors out a bunch of group hug creatures, and it's it's a grand old time. I have a Nin the Pain Artist deck that burns out enemy creatures and gives them a bunch of card draw. There's There are a bunch of interesting and unique group hug commanders out there that were never designed for group hug if only you are willing to look for them and be creative. When you talk about how you can have amazing effects if you just build around them, it doesn't matter who it's helping. And you can do that with a lot of different commanders. Again, you're doing that with Emrakul, which is traditionally not any kind of form of group hug, but it can be. And you go in the opposite direction, you talk about Edric. That is a oppressive deck more times than not. That's a competitive yeah, Edric Flying Men is extremely powerful. It's, Very. it's one of the strongest Semit decks in the game. Yeah. And but it's a group hug effect. Right. It, it affects everybody. But you can build around that effect. You can build around that effect because you know it's coming and you know how best to deal with it and how to utilize it. So it's a group hug type of commander. It's an oppressive one. Enabling other people to play things for free, it sounds like a group hug effect, and it is. But you're doing that so you can decide what you're going to take. You're doing that so you can decide what gets to stick around. It's Snake and Show, yeah. Right. There's exactly. there's a reason why Snake and Show is an archetype in Legacy, and it's not because it's a group hug effect. No, it's because it's effective. It's because it does what it's setting out there to do. It's a powerful effect, which is something you can accomplish in group hug. Alex, what's our last item? So to bring it all home, the reason why people don't like playing Group Hug is because Group Hug itself is stigmatized. When you have an archetype like this that's as stigmatized as it is, and, and I've referenced this in a previous episode, but we have the the terrible three here. We have Group Hug, Stacks, and Chaos. These are three archetypes that their reputation precedes them they're not necessarily any worse than any other archetype, but for some reasons or another, and, and some of those we've talked about today, um, people have a strong aversion to them. And for many people, these decks are kill on sight, right? If you sit down at the table and say that you're playing a group hug deck, this might not happen every time, but it's happened to me. Somebody across the table says, okay, you're kill on sight. I'm going to do everything I can to kill you. And the reasons that that player may be doing that could be innumerable, but I'm sure that we've covered quite a few of them on this list, but it doesn't really matter what they are. What matters is that they're going to, to try to knock you out of the game as fast as they possibly can. And that reason alone, I think, is enough for people to maybe be averse to even trying Group Hug in the first place. Like, if you, if you have an opportunity to play an archetype that you know or have heard is well hated by many people and you're just trying to have a fun time with your casual commander deck i mean why would you bother people are gonna people are gonna hate you regardless of what you do and like i said i don't think this is this attitude is extremely prevalent on the micro scale i think on the macro scale the attitude towards group hug is is quite uh lukewarm or or worse 
But I think when you go into an LGS, for the most part, playing a group hug deck, you're going to be fine. Um, but that that doesn't stop people from being aware of this idea of group hug being stigmatized and group hug being a kill on side effect, kill on side deck. And I think that is enough to steer people clear of this archetype entirely. Yeah, I don't think you'll get. I don't think you'll get flack for playing as much as it's harder to put yourself in a position to build it because of that state, because of that, uh, you know, oh, you're playing this, uh, I'm not going to allow that to stick around. The kill on site thing, I, I get what you're saying, and I get why it's there, but I also, I don't necessarily agree with it, even as a principle, because if the group hug person sits down and you see their death, the only person that's really going to be targeting the group hug player is the person that was probably in a decent position to win in the first place. Because, well, you're going to enable other people to get more resources to be able to stop them. Yeah, they're going to get their extra resources too. But, I mean, help me out here, Alex. Like When you look at the things that you talk about, kill on site, there's a lot of worse options. Uh, I mean, just, again, looking at commanders, the popular ones. Hey, Alex, is Atraxa good? Yeah, Atraxa's really good, Mike. How about Moldrotha? How yeah, about Golos? is right up there, too. Golos, yep. You got Edvard Markov. You've got all of these. Yep. Although you're you're not going to have the opportunity to kill Edvard Markov, let's be honest. Fair enough. But the point is this. Yep. You have commanders that exist that are literally based off of a, oh, no, Atraxa got resolved. If we don't kill it, or get rid of it immediately, we're all probably going to lose in the next couple rounds just because of its existence. And those are three, four, those are five of the top 10 commanders on EDH rec. So the idea of kill on site being something, well, I don't want to play that. Well, evidently people do because they're powerful cards that do powerful effects. Yeah, that's, that's very true. I think that, there's a reason why they're kill on site and there's a reason why people play them anyway. It's because they're very powerful. Right. And I think inherently people know people who have this attitude against group hug feel that kill on site is the best attitude towards it because they believe whether they would recognize that or not, that group hug is very powerful and that it can impact the game in, in very significant ways. And that would lead right into uh, an unscheduled number six here, which I won't spend too much time on. But <laughs> I think this is the number one reason, even though it's number six, why people hate group hug and, and feel very justified in that way. And Mike touched on it there, that group hug is going to accelerate the best and strongest decks the most. Mm -hmm. And to a lesser extent, it's going to accelerate the person who goes after you the most. Right, that's what that's what everybody's saying. That, oh, the the person with the combo deck's just going to hit their combo faster, or you're only benefiting the player right after you, the most. I'm going to be honest. For that second part, I really haven't noticed that. in In my experience, when I'm playing a group hug deck, the most common winner is me. I win way more often than I should with a group hug deck, but I definitely have not seen a pattern of the player right next to me developing a significant advantage 
because typically, even though they're the first one who gets to use my effects, they're not the last one because that effect usually remains in play. Um, however, I will lend some credence to the idea of since we're accelerating everyone, the the high power players being accelerated the most. This is not a problem with group hug. This is a problem with your pod not having an aligned power level. I'm just going to say yeah. right out. If you have somebody at the table whose deck is so significantly stronger than everyone else's that group hug just makes them win the game way faster than normal, they were already going to win the game faster than normal. Group hug just made that happen even faster. So that issue, group hug brought it to light. It showed the cracks in the system, but it didn't cause them, right? Right. The problem was already there. You have a person in your pod running a competitive combo deck that is able to win very quickly. Group Hub just made you realize how fast they can actually win. Um, and that's that's really what I have to say about number six there. Sure. But at the same time here, I, I want to make sure it's not lost. You're not talking about, you know, putting everybody at an equal chance to win the game. You're talking about equity for the table. Now, you're the most prepared for it because you have built the deck yourself. But the thing is, is that when you build everybody up and give everybody more resources, the gap doesn't stay the same as whoever was the most powerful deck at the beginning is now just as powerful, but everybody has more. The percentage of resources available to everybody has gone up, which means the gaps have gone down. The variable have gone up. And when you're talking about overperforming or defeating an opponent or your deck outperforming what it's supposed to be able to do, the things that you do to get there are to have more variables, to have more opportunities for your deck to overperform. Group Hug does that and enables everybody to do more, which is more effective for the people that have less to work with, right? You touched on something that, that I think we'll expand on in, in the next episode, but I think this is just a just a touch of why Group Hug is so great, and you should love it too, is that in, in a previous episode we talked about how to make sure that uh, you're having a fun commander game, a fun commander pod, and the number one item that we had on that list was that everyone's deck is functioning and, and working as intended. What better way to ensure that that happens by giving everyone a ton of resources, right? And I don't want to get too far into this because we're going to talk about this a lot more, but I think that's that's part of the best part about Group Hug. So in closing, symmetrical effects can be especially powerful. Group Hug can be powerful. You can find lots of fun commanders to do it with as long as you are building your deck to thrive off of those effects. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with some advice for players a couple of cards that you're probably not seeing as much use of as you should. And Alex is going to go through a lesser known mechanic and some of the ways that it works. See you soon. Hey, it's present Mike filling in for past Mike. Our audio has gotten so much better. Thanks for sticking around with us. So we're going to talk about some cards that are really underplayed. We each think that we're bringing some really interesting cards to the table. And if you want to grab them or any other cards, 
you can help us out in the process. We have partnered with TCGplayer.com. So if you're looking for any singles, sealed product, deck boxes, sleeves, playmats, really anything to spice up your game experience, go to bit.ly slash EDH social or click on the link in our show notes. You don't pay anything extra and you'll really help us out by buying all the things you are going to anyway. That's bit.ly slash EDH social or click the link in our show notes. Back to the show. All right, Alex. So now we're going to give some advice to new players and old. Uh, I am going to start with something for new players. Building more decks is always fun. I like building decks. It's the best part of Magic, as far as I'm concerned. Commander is being at the actual table with your friends. But Magic in general, I love deck brewing. I like building concepts. But it's an investment. There's a ton of time that it takes. There's a lot of research depending on how you know fleshed out you actually want the deck to be. And sometimes it's just a matter of, well, I don't even know if I really want to make this deck. I want to try it, but I don't know if I want to make it. So if you want to shake things up every once in a while, and this is something that we talked about on a previous episode as far as a kind of way to just enjoy your playgroup a little bit more. Exchange decks at one night. You know, swap some decks, whether it's doing something like a draft and, you know, everybody picking a deck in order, whether it's just you handing a deck over to somebody else and saying, hey, try this out and tell me if you like it or if you have any advice on it, things like that. One of the favorite or one of my favorite things that I've done with my playgroup recently is I had them all give me a commander and that's it. That was the entire specification. It's they gave me a commander and then my goal was to build a deck based off that commander that they'd have fun with. And I came back uh, about a week and a half later with five commander decks for my playgroup to play with. And I actually bought a, uh, a referee shirt because I was just going to be sitting around the table and helping people out with things they might not be familiar with. One of my most fun times playing Commander was the time I didn't play Commander because I watched my friends play these decks and just see the, oh, okay, so uh, this interaction is kind of cool. Oh, I never thought about that. And you exchanging with somebody else means that there's a deck that's built. You get to pilot it. You get to see how it runs. You get to see if you like it. You get to see if you don't like it. See if it's something that suits you. But just as importantly... It allows you to make mistakes. It allows you to decide, and I, I've written down here, get a divorce from your own tendencies as far as the way that you play and see if it changes anything for you. Maybe it reaffirms what you have already know and what you prefer, but there's nothing wrong with that either. Get a little bit outside of your own routine. Play somebody else's deck. See how you like it. Yeah, I think that's an excellent uh, idea. Your reference, we talked about that in a previous episode. Unfortunately, that episode was uh, was lost. So yes, that, that yes. version of that episode was lost. Which is a shame because you paid me some very nice compliments. When when we used to play Commander together, when we lived in, in the same area, uh, one variance on Commander that I'd like to, uh, to have our LGS do for our... Uh, for a commander league was was this idea of a deck draft where everybody would uh, bring all of their commander decks 
and we'd go around the table and everyone would pick a commander deck that they don't own and they would play that for for a game of commander and i think that was just one of the most fun experiences every time we get to do that it's it's so much fun it's fun to to try out a deck you've never played before and it's fun to have somebody play your deck and see the gears turning in their mind and maybe if you're lucky see them played in a way that you never expected it to be played um i think that that's a very special experience and it it can really sort of reignite your love for the game absolutely absolutely and the thing is we we have to recognize this every time that we're talking about it it's a game you have to do what you're going to do to have as much fun as possible Sometimes that means changing things up. Sometimes that means getting another perspective. Sometimes that means that somebody is going to run a ridiculous stacks deck because that's going to be fun for them. That's fine. The whole point is do different things to find out if you enjoy it. What do you have for us this week, Alex? Well, I have something very apropos for this week. I would say put a symmetric effect in your deck, veteran players. It doesn't necessarily have to be a group effect. It doesn't necessarily even have to be a political effect. But put an effect in your deck that affects the whole table and consider very carefully what kind of effect that would be because the answer is going to be different for every deck. You want to put an effect in that is going to help everybody or hurt everybody, but it helps you the most or hurts you the least. Not because the card says it does, and it's it has a built-in lack of symmetry, but because, as we discussed earlier, you constructed your deck in advance to already be breaking that parity and to take better advantage or be hurt less by, by those effects. I think that these kinds of effects are significantly underplayed, and the kinds of decks that play them, the archetypes that take great advantage of them, Stacks, Group Hug, and Chaos are well stigmatized that people don't like them because they play all these symmetric effects. But when these decks are constructed properly, these symmetric effects are in one way or another beneficial to the person playing them, even if that's not immediately apparent. And I think that that's an aspect of Commander that a lot of people just completely ignore. They do. And... and I can see why sometimes, but don't avoid an effect that will help your deck out tremendously because it will help out your opponent some. Is I think kind of, it, it's, it's the group hug mentality. So having symmetric effects, even if they do help everybody out, it's definitely something that can give your deck a lot of extra oomph. So... That actually leads us into our, wait, can I see that segment? Uh, talking about some cards that people aren't using or that frankly just aren't being used enough. And keeping on theme with symmetric effects and group hug, we're going to talk about two cards that are in less than 700 decks on EDH rec. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start with Noble Benefactor. Um, this is a two generic, one blue, cleric, two-two creature. Reads with, if Noble Benefactor is put into 
any graveyard from play. Each player may search his or her library for any one card and put that card into his or her hand. Each player who searches his or her library shuffles it afterwards. Alex, this is a when-it-dies tutor for the entire table. I love it. That That is a ridiculous card. There, there are few cards that do this, but there are some. Scheming Symmetry comes to mind as a black card because, of course, black has to have every kind of tutor that exists. Noble Benefactor is a fun card because when you tutor as an individual player and you vampire tutor, you get the best card in your deck immediately. You turn everybody's eyes at the table towards you. Because you just got the best card either in your deck or the best card in your deck for the situation that everybody is currently dealing with. Noble Benefactor is a very fun political card for, hey everybody, go get your silver bullet. And when you do so, there is a whole lot of staring at each other. There have been times where I've, I've played Noble Benefactor, I've made everybody at the table read it because what the heck is that card and then as everybody goes around they're paranoid enough where they're so focused on what they're going to get i've grabbed a command tower before just because you know what i really need to hit a land drop next turn you can get anything and if you have some kind of recursion feel free but i love effects that make everybody really go into the tank because if I'm the one who gave them the ability to do something, and this is probably why I like group hug as much as I do, I know that I'm at least going to be safe from them going outright at me right then. Group hug is really good, like you said, at making sure that you're around second place, or at least seeming like you're in second place for a good amount of time. And I, I just like this card. I, I, it's got cool political effects. It's, I think, 50 cents so I've got probably around 10 that I ordered at the same time, <laughs> just kind of chilling. Because if I'm playing blue, there's a good chance it's going to go in there just for the, the essentially for the lulls. Why not? Yeah, Mike, I love Noble Benefactor. Um, the The most interesting part about it is you, you said it's a lot like a Black Tutor like Scheming Symmetry. Scheming Symmetry, everybody was all over it when that card came out. Uh, that's a tutor that allows you to uh, fetch any card and another player also fetches any card at the same time. Um, but that's in black. This is in blue. And unlike a blue tutor, because blue tutors have restrictions, and because they have restrictions, mm -hmm. you have to reveal the card to make sure everybody knows that you follow that restriction. This blue tutor acts like a black tutor. Uh, nobody gets to see what anybody got. So you really have that paranoid angle you were talking about. You could have gotten anything, and no one knows what that is. Uh, I, I love that. I love Noble Benefactor. What a what a delightful card. Gotta love any time that you, you, you get to put a card just into your hand, too. No on the top of your library. No gamble effect where you might randomly lose it. Just, just there. It's always fun. What do you have for us this week, Alex? Well, I have a card that's, uh, that pairs pretty well with uh, the very kind of taking off the 
safety wheels, uh, the training wheels, taking off the, uh, what would you call it? You're, you're allowing people to, to do anything with Noble Benefactor. Yeah. And this card, you're you're encouraging you're encouraging greed and gluttony. <laughs> and this card plays right into that. This card is tempting worm. It's from onslaught. It's one in a green. It's a creature worm. It's a five five, and it says when tempting worm enters the battlefield, each opponent may put any number of artifact, creature, enchantment, and or land cards from their hand onto the battlefield. Um, now back when this was printed. That affects the idea of group hug didn't exist back in back in onslaught days, right? There was no commander back then. This is two thousand two. It's too early for commander. Uh, it was it was still a twinkle in Sheldon's eye. But <laughs> when and and this is the kind of effect that I love when when wizards inadvertently has designed an effect that they feel is is a downside, but in the distant future. I'm sitting here looking at it for a completely different purpose. Back when this was printed, the idea was you get a 5-5 five, five for one and a green, which even today is a pretty good rate, but back then was unheard of. Like that would be like Absolutely. getting a 10-10 a ten, ten for two mana today with all the with all the power creep we have on creatures today. So of course, as an equal and opposite effect, you had to let them sneak and show everything in their hand out of the battlefield. Um, for me, I don't know about you, Mike, but when I'm playing this card, I don't really give a rat's ass about the uh, five-five body, and I never have <laughs> because when I'm playing this nope. card, I want the effect that everybody sneak and shows everything they have onto the battlefield. Because when I play Tempting Worm, I'm not trying to somehow secretly benefit myself because I can't. Right? There's be pretty different. I would call this card a a true altruism card. Um, even though it's really not, right? You're playing it for a reason. But I would call this a true altruism card because there's no way for you to directly benefit from this spell. Everybody's just completely popping off. However, in the all-too-common situation, we talked about this last episode, where somebody is in a position to win the game, and everyone knows they're in a position to win the game, and if somebody doesn't stop them, then they're going to win the game, and everybody, of course, knows everything about that because that player was very responsible and they snitched on themselves and, and told everybody, hey, guys, I'm going to win the game like this next turn. Um, Tempting Worm is a delightful, what would you call it? Just, it's a wild card. Throw a cherry bomb into the mix um, that basically that player was going to win. How about now anything can happen? Literally, exactly. the path that the game was on, where it looked like all hope was lost, now somebody else could win the game that same turn, or that player could get completely kneecapped and have no chance of winning anymore because the player next to me put down 80 power worth of creatures because they just happen to have a bunch of cards in their hand. Or somebody puts down a combo and wins instantaneously. This, it's a very chaotic effect. However... You wouldn't really play this under any normal circumstances. You play this, I play this, when I need a dramatic shift in the state of the game, probably because somebody's about to win. Mike, this card's a dollar. And yep. it's very tempting. 
<laughs> this, uh, it's 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 a desirable effect, and on EDH rack, they're telling me that four hundred and forty nine decks are playing this card, or as they would put it, a zero percent of decks. It's it's literally the looking at the magic eight ball and asking. Who is going to win this game? It is certain, comes up as your answer. Tempting Worm is the ability to just shake the hell out of the Magic 8 ball <laughs> and see what comes up differently. It could still be the same player. Or, like you said, you can catch somebody else up. At the same time, if you want to be a terrible person... You can also play out a Tempting Worm, encourage everybody to throw everything onto the battlefield, and then wipe the board. Don't do that, because that'll work once, and then you'll also have some very mad people at you. But it's it's a weird card. I Like you said, I don't read this as a two-mana 5-5 five, five with a downside. I, I read this as a two-mana, let's see what we got, people. And... That's kind of a cool effect. Big fan of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Very good pick on it this week, Alex. So moving on to our last segment here, uh, Judge Alex is going to help us out. Um, this is one that you picked because I think this is an interaction that, A, a lot of people don't understand, and B, it has kind of a cool... It, it, it can have a cool effect on the game if you're aware of it. So why don't you go ahead and take me through some illegal actions here, Alex? Sure. Uh, we're on the group hug episode, so we're going to talk about a group hug effect or a political effect. This is the assist mechanic. Uh, this effect premiered in Battle Bond, and so far that is the only place that it's been. Assist is an effect that says another player may help you cast this spell. When you cast a spell, you may choose another player, and that player may pay any amount of mana towards the generic mana cost of the spell. Um, and if they choose to do so, you don't have to pay that part. They already paid it for you. So the result of that is that you can get some pretty desirable effects at a pretty good rate if you can convince somebody else to, to do it for you. My favorite example... Goodness gracious, did I not even have this card pulled up? This uh, this is the card that, when people heard about it in concept, they were immediately skeptical, and I won't really go into that, but this is the, when, I believe it was Gavin was describing Battlebond as like a set that incorporates the aesthetics of esports. People heard that and they're like, oh, this set's going to be awful. But, <laughs> but they were wrong, of course. Battlebond is one of the best sets ever it's one of my favorite sets um and that card has played the game yep um and and when i say that i can't help but hear it in in from overwatch at play of the game yeah. exactly but a lot of games yep. have this anyway play the game is six white white for sorcery that says uh, assist and exile all non-land permanents now that's a fantastic effect that resets the game. I mean, people keep their lands, but somebody was going to win the game, 
they're not going to win the game anymore, and they're certainly not recurring anything out of their graveyard with Rise of the Dark Realms or Reanimate to to pop back because those cards are gone. However, a six white white's a lot, especially for a white deck, right? So we have this we have this effect on here. Assist another player can pay up to six of this spell's cost. Um, let's let's sort of dive into the weeds here. Before you activate mana abilities to cast a spell, which, for reference, is the last part of casting a spell, there are multiple steps to cast a spell, and actually paying for the spell with mana abilities is the final step. Um, I know a lot of people like to activate their mana abilities first and then cast a spell, which is perfectly allowed, uh, but technically that is floating the mana to cast the spell. Because technically, you tell everybody what the spell is first, and then you pay for it. Uh, that that doesn't hmm. that distinction is is not very important in most cases. However, it is relevant here because this is the last part, and it inserts an extra step before you would activate mana abilities to pay for this spell, which is six white white. You may choose an opponent. If you do choose an opponent, that player in turn may choose to activate any number of mana abilities from permanents they control to pay for any portion of the spell's generic mana cost. Now, on the card, it says... On the card play of the game, it says another player may pay up to six of the spell's cost. And on any card with assist, it's going to uh, give you the generic mana portion and say they can pay up to this amount, up to two, up to three, whatever it is. That's not technically speaking true. That's just the reminder text. What is true is that when we calculate the total cost of the spell, which can include any number of effects, it can include uh, tax effects, it can include discount effects from like Helm of Awakening or from Throne of Amethyst, anything that increases the generic mana cost of this spell by any amount, uh, the the player that you picked for assist can continue to can continue to pay in the same way that. Uh, command tax is is simply adding generic mana onto the cost of your commander. A tax is simply adding generic mana onto the cost of this spell. And if this spell, for example, for any number of reasons costed 8 white-white, well, the player that I pick could choose to pay up to 8 mana, 8 generic mana. Now, they can't ever pay for the colored mana cost, right? If there were a colored mana cost or a colorless mana cost, that's the diamond mana from Eldrazi, they can't pay that. They can only pay the generic portion. However, wherever that generic portion came from, they can pay for it. And they don't have to, right? You you have to show them the, the spell. They have to know what it is. And you can't force them to pay for it, right? You can ask them very nicely. You can say, hey, listen, if we don't exile all nine land permanents, I know this sucks. Uh, that person over there is going to win the game. So please help. But they may say, you know what? Dude, it's been a long night. I just want the game to be over. I don't want to reset the game. So they don't pay any amount for it. What if uh, what if you don't have 8 mana when, yeah. when they say no? What what happens then? Uh, we're going to go ahead and explain that. That's, that's when you're going to back up. Because an illegal action has, has taken place, technically. And, and this can get pretty muddy in in a casual game but suffice to say in a in a tournament setting where this would never be played right you would never 
play an assist spell in a tournament setting, so it really doesn't come up there. In a tournament setting, if you intend to cast a spell and you declare that you're doing it and you know that you can't afford to pay for it, then you can get in some trouble with uh, with the judges there. And, and this, this kind of thing has many, many asterisks and there's many edge cases. And <laughs> we can talk about Silvala and playing Glacial Worm until the cows come home. That's not today. Um, today, we're just going to talk about it in a casual setting. We're going to do a simple backup. So for whatever reason, and this doesn't necessitate, by the way, you don't have to be unable to pay for it. If you have eight mana and you don't want to spend eight mana and the player that you asked to help you doesn't feel like helping you, you aren't locked in. If if that player chooses not to help you pay for the spell, or even if they do choose to help pay you, uh, help you pay for the spell, you can you can then choose to back up because that's built into the assist mechanic. Um, if you choose to back up, you're going to move the spell from the stack to the previous zone it was in, which is probably your hand. And then you're going to undo all the mana abilities that you can undo, which is any mana ability that's not something really funky like Silvala Explore and Return that, again, we're not going to talk about. And and that's a pretty simple backup. I think that makes intuitive sense. You can't or don't want to afford the spell as part of the assist mechanic because you have two different players with two different levels of knowledge. You don't know if they're going to pay for it. They don't know if they want to pay for it until you tell them what it is. And once you tell them what it is, you've already cast the spell, right? Uh, so they, they have built it in that you are allowed to do takesies backsies in that case. Everybody still knows. You can't tell the jury to disregard that last statement. People know that you have played the game now or whatever assist card you have. But you can do a simple backup. Uh, if you choose not to end up casting it or you can't afford to cast it, you'll just simply move the spell back to the previous zone, which again is almost always your hand unless you're somehow found a way to cast this off the top of your library or something. Pretty fantastic. Um, it would go back there in that case. And then you rewind the mana abilities, you untap those permanents, and you remove that mana from your mana pool. And the other player, likewise, if they contributed any mana, they will also unwind those mana abilities. Um, does that make sense to you, Mike? It does, and I think I think we actually might have also buried uh, part of something that most players, well, maybe not most players, but a good amount of players, especially if their big interactions are part of the reason they got into Commander or Magic in general, was off of watching real play. Um, almost any time that you watch somebody playing, and frankly at most tables, People are tapping their lands to cast the spell before they're actually casting the spell. Mm -hmm. They're not playing the spell and then casting and then tapping their lands as a result to actually accomplish it. Mm -hmm. It took me a while to realize that you could do it either way to float the mana and then cast the spell with said mana versus the opposite. And I think that's something that people think is just a diehard you pay for the spell, then you cast the spell. And it's not necessarily the case. You do it in whichever way you do. So the idea of why assist is a mechanic that maybe people don't understand is because you're playing the spell, then asking the other player, how much of this can you pay for? And you're having that conversation. 
then you're paying for the spell after you've had said conversation, which is why you have the ability to go back, which is why if things don't work the way that they should or the way that you prefer them to, there is an, for lack of a better term, there is a rewind aspect of it. Well, then I'm not playing this spell because I can't pay for it without your help or because I can't pay that much for it. So it's cool to note how that works, how to actually go back and make it work. And I like assist as a mechanic. I, I don't think there's nearly enough of it. I understand that it can be a little difficult uh, to print cards and to get uh, you know certain mechanics off the ground, but it's one that I sure would like to see more of. Well, you know, it was it was designed for uh, for Battlebound, which is a two headed giant set. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot more sense when you're asking your teammate to help you pay for the spell, right? Because that's that's something that two-headed giant players have dreamed of for as long as two-headed giant has existed. Like, yeah. oh, I wish that I could tap my teammates' lands to help me cast this big spell. Well, now you can. Or rather, you can ask them if they want to help you. Um, right. Which presumably they would help you if, if indeed you need to cast this spell. Anyway, Mike... Uh, I think that's I think that uh, that's about that for assist there. Absolutely, uh, it's it's a cool mechanic, and uh, if if you weren't sure how it works, now you are. That's going to wrap it up for us, Alex. Thank you very much for joining me this week. Always a pleasure, Mike. All right, and everybody, just you know, remember, it's it's not a good time to actually give people hugs right now. You know, keep your social distance, <laughs> but you can group hug over a virtual play setting. And if you ever want to know what kind of cards to play, you can always go with tempting. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry, I've wanted to do that the entire episode. See you guys next time.